Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You're now listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with the bend toward the remarkable. Today's episode is for the person who's struggling with an idea, but doesn't know how to move forward. And it's for all the mamas out there. So listen on. Welcome to the Rogue Ones podcast series. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson, host and curator of this show. My guest today is a consummate entrepreneur in every sense. She has ideas that fill needs and has the courage to run after them, knowing there will be failure along the way. But oh, is it worth it. While a junior in college, Caitlin Kirby was given a typical class assignment that led to the birth of an idea. And mere months later, Caitlin was on a flight in the early morning hours to Los Angeles for a cover shoot and back in her bed in Wisconsin by 10 p.m. That whirlwind trip kicked off the rest of her career and with covers featuring Kourtney Kardashian, T.N. Tamara Maori, Haley Duff, Tiffany Thiessen, Mario Lopez, and so many more, Caitlin's budding idea gave way to a remarkable career of extraordinary measures. In addition to building an empire with two successful magazines, Caitlin has become a mother in recent years and works to balance this new role with her convictions to spend adequate time on her dreams. In this conversation, two practices come up multiple times that will stick with you after you listen. First, explore your curiosity. This allows for interesting ideas to be born and for newfound problems to be solved. And second, just ask. You never ever know what will come from just asking. Listen for these things as you digest this episode and you might find the courage to send a few of those emails you've been too scared to let fly. I now have the pleasure of introducing you to the brilliant Caitlin Kirby. Kind of where I really would love to start is just your background. I know you said you you went to school for journalism. Is that something you always wanted to do or is that kind of a did you find your way there or? So I've always loved writing. I've always been into writing. I've always had blogs like way back when live journal was a thing. I did oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always had oh, blogs. Yeah. yeah. Where did you, where did you pick up writing? Did you just, it just kind of all happened or did, were there influences in your life that led you to that? I read a lot when I was younger. I think I, I was just always really into English class. Like it was like, that was my thing. Like I was not a math person, like nothing mm-hmm. else. Like English was like, I was very good at writing and I, I, yeah, I just always loved it. And so that was what I decided I would do for a career. Mm-hmm. So I, journalism was something I just always wanted to go into. I, when I went to school, I went to the university of Wisconsin and I have a degree in journalism, but when I first went 
into the journalism school, I just always assumed that I would uh, go to work for a magazine or go to work for a news outlet of some kind. I had no intention of starting my own thing whatsoever. I just wanted to be in writing and write for another news outlet. And then things just kind of happened. You said your junior year, you yes. started this magazine for, for parents, right? Yes. Yeah. So obviously I didn't have kids. I was a junior in college and um, I was in this required program for the journalism school. Uh, it's like like all-encompassing journalism goes from like writing for a newspaper to like learning WordPress and learning Dreamweaver to like design a website. And I love um, that. I love that breadth of understanding. It was huge. It was such a huge class. And there was um, mm-hmm. like a designing magazine layout segment of the course. And so then when we got into that, mm-hmm. I was like obsessed with everything <sighs> about it. I like ran Had you done? Ran- had you done design at all? Uh, I had that not. Point? That was okay. the, that was the tip of the iceberg for my my design oh. career. So yeah. you said you ran home. I ran home and I downloaded like a free trial of Adobe InDesign, which is yes. like what you use to design magazines. And so I just started playing around with it at home on my little my little Dell laptop that I have no <laughs> idea how I got through college with, but yeah. <laughs> so, I started playing around with like magazine layouts and stuff on in InDesign when I got home and I was so into it. Like that was like all I did for weeks. So many really actually started from a love of the design. Right. So I, I kind of went home and played around with the magazine layout design. And I like had been reading this magazine called Cookie, which was a parenting magazine, but I just loved like the layout of it and the design and the content was so great. And where did you find it? Like, what they did they give it to you in class? Or? No, so I just kind of knew of it, just having been a magazine lover and seeing it in bookstores and things like that. I just always loved how it looked, and I would pick it up and look at every page, and I loved it. And mm-hmm. even their website was great. Even in 2011, what was a weird time for websites, but. It was okay. it was pretty good, <laughs> but then Cookie went under and they went out of business, and so there just like was nothing in that in that parenting space anymore that was even like that. And I was learning the digital side, and so I like started putting together like a fake parenting magazine cover. I had like this old wow. stock image of like Julianne Moore and her daughter, and I still remember <laughs> it. I probably still have it on that stupid Dell computer somewhere. But and I like told my husband who was my boyfriend at the time I was like this looks legit like this looks really good I think mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna start a magazine and and I did <laughs> and you said you said you got the idea in April and then in December you were in LA for a, d- a day trip to LA that's not yes. easy no it was the craziest 24 hours of my life so I I had this idea in April and I I actually I'd had literally nothing lined up I like started this Twitter account for basically a magazine that didn't even exist. And I started following like all of these like parenting brands and these designers and like the maternity space and all this stuff. And literally on day one, people were like, where can I buy the magazine? Like, how do I advertise? And I was like, oh, I I think I'm onto something. So I was like, I guess I better get to work. So yeah, so I from April then until December, I'd like just got into it and started putting content together and lining up my cover. And it was wild. So from April to December, I started kind of compiling all my content. And I think we did maybe three to four interviews for that issue. And now we do like seven to eight. It's a lot bigger. But um, And were these initial three to four people celebrities or were these? No. So I think, and I'll have to go, I can even go back and look, but 
the three to four, there was probably like a maternity designer or some kind of parenting brand owner. I did a lot of that in the beginning. Okay. Like the people who were like the faces behind these big brands that you could buy in the baby gear space. And then I, um, I coordinated a cover shoot. It was Bill Horn and Scout Masterson. They were on Tori Spelling's reality TV show at the time. I was like a big fan. <laughs> and they had this little girl. And I was like, they would be so great for a cover. So I asked them and they agreed. So then I hired a, phot- a photographer that I found online, had never met her, mm-hmm. hired her, gave her the address to these people's house in LA. Oh my gosh. Oh my I gosh. bought two plane tickets for me and my husband. We flew, literally drove from Madison at 3 a.m. to Chicago, flew out at 6, got to LA at noon, shot the cover. We were back at the airport right away and then back to Madison at midnight. One of one of the many amazing things I'm taking away from what you just said is the notion of just asking and yes. setting yourself up to look as legit as possible. I mean, it's fake it till you make it is 100% what yes. it was. Yes. And so you come back, you get back to Madison at like midnight. The next morning when you wake up from your sleep. Yeah. What do you do at that point? I mean, are you, do you start immediately piecing everything together? Yes, I did. I think at that point I had all of like the other interviews done. So this cover was like the last piece of the puzzle that I had to kind of do. And my photographer, the one that I hired for this first shoot still shoots for me now. She's done like most of our really? covers. Yeah. Like she's been so great from the beginning. Um, and yeah, so I just, I called it like our, our preview issue because my intention was not to do four issues a year. I was just going to do like one a year okay. and kind of, cause I had no idea where it was going to go. So I called it like our preview issue and we launched it at the end of December. It had 50 pages, which I thought was like, wow, so big. And now we're like way over a hundred. So yeah, I just finished putting that feature together and then I threw it up on, um, our publishing platform is called issue. And I put it up on there and we launched it on the website that month. At the end of the month, we had 10,000 readers, which I was like floored. What do you think What I do was, you think brought most of them? Um, and it's still, it's the people that are in it. Like it's the, the, okay. the features that I do and the covers that I do, when they share it, it's huge for our traffic. Wow. So yeah, we, I just thought it would maybe just be my mom that read it. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, of <laughs> yeah. course. Always so the mom. Was, you can always yes. count on one. Right. One so view. obviously it was a lot yeah. more than that. So 10,000, I thought was just, wow. it was massive. And so I was like, okay, I think, and then, then literally once we launched it, people were like, okay, when's the next one come out? And I was like, I wasn't planning on doing a new one for like a year. Cause I was like, oh I didn't word. know this was going to be a thing. And so then I got to work and now we do four a year and we're well and over. And is it digital, digital only? Digital. Yes. Oh, that's so great. Digital, yes. You said you're well over, what is we're, your. We are well over um, 200,000 readers in issue. So that's great. And you've had people like Mario Lopez, Tia Maori, and Courtney Kardashian. He's living out what? my nineties dreams with these covers. Yeah, I and the the Kardashian thing blows my mind because they it, seem it so mind. untouchable. How mind. in the world did that come to be? That was kind of the one that put us on the map. Having networked with so many publicists, and when you have one person in the magazine and their publicist is this person, and then they sure. also represent this other person, and then just the different people that you have on the covers. And then sometimes the publicists come to you and, well, I represent this person and would you be interested in her? And mm-hmm. so I just kind of through, through networking and having done these other features, I kind of figured out who Courtney's publicist was. And 
honestly, I just sent her an email. I was like, the worst thing she can tell me is no. Right. I have, I have no clue what the next steps would even be and what a Kardashian photo shoot would even involve. Like that is so crazy. And so I just emailed her and crazily enough, she said, yeah, she's interested. I have, I kind of have this, this mentality where I just like say yes to everything and then just figure it out later. So, um, we went for it and no one believes me, but Courtney's cover and her shoot and her interview was still to date the easiest one I've ever done. Are you kidding? No, like she was literally the easiest person in the entire world. Like my team was there for like an hour and a half and oh my word. The, she was like so generous and wonderful. And yeah, that's the easiest. Was it one at I've her got. house or where was it? It at? was at her house. Yes. It was at oh her my house. Goodness. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Yes. You said that that was one, the one that really put you on the map. I'm assuming she shared it then. She shared she, that she was she on the cover shared magazine. it. And we, I mean, it was a pretty lengthy cover shoot. We had some pretty big hair and makeup teams and stylists and photographers involved. And then we had, it was, um, when she shared it, we went from 6,000 to 15,000 Instagram followers overnight. Oh my gosh. So, and then our traffic, which we had been getting, I don't know, 30, 40,000 readers went to 250,000 readers for that issue. Unbelievable. It was Unbelievable. insane. And you even, you started a second one, right? Um, a wedding? Yes. That one, that one's a, a different animal, but yes. Is it really? In yes. In what way? So we don't have any celebrity inclusion at all in tool tool is a fine art weddings magazine that i started when i was engaged in 2014 i started tool just because i was fully immersed in like everything wedding and i wanted like another creative outlet and i was like this is what i do why would i not start another magazine in in this Mm. space so I did. And Tool, we only published twice a year. Tool was full blown from day one. It was not like I didn't launch any type of preview issue or anything. It was it was 125 pages from the first issue. <laughs> well, and the fact that it is fine art, that seems like it's a different, uh, it's not just oh, weddings and haha. And right. Just and like it, it's- yes. Yes. I try to be very, very selective about what goes into this one because everyone and their mom has a camera today and everyone thinks they're a photographer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Tool is how often now? Twice a year. Twice a year. And then mini yep. is four times a year? Mini is four. Yep. And one of the things that you've, you've said is that people think you're like in a oh uh, high rise in, in New York and you're in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Did you decide to just stay in Madison or were there, you just did and, and that's we just where you. We just really love Madison. The only other place we thought about moving was LA just because most of my mm-hmm. team is out there and it would make things so much easier. But we just really love Madison and we stayed put and it it honestly cuts down on my overhead quite a bit to stay here. And then changing gears like a lot. You guys have a brick and mortar store now? Oh goodness, yes. We have lost what, our minds. Uh, <laughs> no, no. That is way cool. What was the impetus behind that? So, um, my husband was a banker, a former banker. So he, um, was very tired of the banking world and wanted to do something else and something more creative. And he has watched me run my own business for 10 years and wanted Hmm. to give it a shot himself. So, um, we opened, it's a shoe repair store. It's a shoe repair and men's retail store. And my dad actually owns five shoe stores back in Illinois and a shoe repair shop that's been there since the thirties. And so Michael had worked for my dad in a shoe store in college and he was into it and he loves hmm. shoes. 
So he has way more shoes than I do. So, Does he really? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's he's fantastic. Well, I guess that's probably a good sign that he's <laughs> yes. in the right place then. Yes. So um, we were ready to do something here. And so we kind of just went in with my dad and my stepmom and my two brothers. And we all kind of own this new business together. And Michael and I run it every day. I'll get back to our conversation shortly. We talk about unforeseen circumstances that led to her success, entrepreneurship, and motherhood, and things like failure and insecurity. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I hope you've been enjoying yourself. If you're at a place where you can access your phone safely, head over to Instagram and follow two accounts. First, this podcast series account at Rogue Ones Podcast, and second, our guest today, Caitlin Kirby at Mini Mag Kate. You can find more information about this podcast and all of the episodes, past and future, at rogueonespodcast.com. And now, back to my conversation with Caitlin Kirby. What were some of the lucky breaks that you were given that you couldn't have planned on? There's a guy named Joseph Campbell who says, um, uh, there's there's something like 10,000 helping hands that we don't even see, right? So are there any of those that kind of jump out to you immediately over the last 10 years? I have to say that our biggest lucky break was having Courtney Kardashian on the cover. And so that just mm. comes down to networking and not being afraid to ask. Like if you don't ask, you don't get. And so mm. I have always um, – thought that the worst someone could say is no. And so I have just, I keep, I still do it now. I just send emails and just see what happens. And so I think that, um, networking is the biggest thing that you can do and, and you'll catch a break. If you just talk to people, you never know who, who's going to give you something. That's a common theme among so many people who are doing, um, these large scale, amazing, spectacular things that a lot of the time it does come down to, they're just not afraid to ask. Um, And you just keep at it. And there's been a lot of people that I have asked for something and either didn't hear back or heard a no. And then literally two years later, they come to me and ask for something that I had asked them for two years ago. And so I'm like, isn't that funny? Yeah. So um, I hear your sweet little baby um, and it's totally fine, but this actually brings up a really great question. There are a few people that listen to the podcast who um, I could, I kind of did a call for questions and a couple of people actually asked if you ever talk to moms that are doing their own things that have whatever, what are some pieces of advice that you can give to these people who are really trying to go for something, but then, you know, they have this amazing little creature that they're oh caring gosh. for and raising. It's, it's so hard. It's the hardest thing when you have a child and you have something that you want to do is you still have to be you. And it's, it's something mm-hmm. that's really hard that you feel like you now exist for another person and you you don't get to do what you want to do anymore but that's something that you have to you have to make time for that otherwise you do you it's so easy to lose yourself and and then feel like you're not you anymore and you just you don't have you still have an ambition and that's something that you have to follow and that was something that I had to learn too is that I had to make I have to be a mom, but I have to make time for my business too, because that's my identity to me. That's something my husband and I have gone back and forth on so much is that I have to have a break because I have to do my work because that is something that fulfills me that I can't get anywhere else. So yeah, it's it's really hard, but you do have to make time to do what you want to do. Otherwise, it's 
So you will regret it so much. I'm so encouraged to hear that because there is this sort of thing that tells me, well, once kids come along, you have about 15 years of not doing mm-hmm. anything that you've been doing. Mm-hmm. So get it all done now. Get it all done now. Um, and that has changed so much. And I have been fortunate to work around so many women who have done amazing things with young children and with, you know, and so it's so encouraging to hear people talk about that. Um, yes. I don't and you think can do both. And yes, you can do both. And you can't, you can't let anyone tell you that you can't do both because you can. <laughs> right. So what about uh, failure? It's not really something we like to talk about, but are there things, not even necessarily with mini or tool or just, just in general, what are some failures that you encountered that actually ended up being really great for, for you, um, in your business? Um, and I guess just in general, your, your journey. I can tell you this. When I was in college, I had a job as actually the first thing I did was I applied for an internship with a local magazine here in Madison and they, um, offered it to me. It was 40 hours a week as an internship unpaid. Jeez. Oh, I almost Ooh. took it. I turned it down. I started my own magazine. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I, yeah. So that, I mean, that's something that I, I probably would have learned a lot from, but I can tell you, I honestly learned way more just doing it. Like you just have to get in there and learn as you go. And that was something that probably worked in my favor that I didn't take that job. As, as a highly creative person, which I think you are because you come up with all these ideas and you execute them. How do you how do you keep from getting overwhelmed and bogged down by details? I think that's something creative people they see the vision and then they're like, "But wait, I do." Uh, how do you process all of that? I have a never-ending to-do list that I feel like, and I say this all the time, and I'm probably dating myself so much, but it's like that episode of Saved by the Bell where Jesse Spano is like singing, "I'm so excited," and she's just like, "Oh my gosh!" And then she starts sobbing. <laughs> That is, that is me like every day. Like I'm oh. like, there's never any time. I'm like always, my to-do list is so long. I feel like I never have time to get through it all. And there are so many details. I like putting together these cover shoots, which are so many moving parts. And mm. I, you have to, I keep this long list and I have to segment it. Otherwise I will get so overwhelmed if I don't say today, I'm going to do this interview and tomorrow I'm going to do this interview. And I just mm. cross them off one by one. And it's, if I don't do that, then it will swallow me whole because there is so much to do for each issue that I just have to take it one at a time. Do you have any insecurities that you feel like you battle all the time? I do. Um, imposter syndrome. Yes. <laughs> like that is me mm-hmm. to a T. And I think mm-hmm. that all comes with, with working from home, which is both a blessing and a curse because you're doing these really big things and it's it's so hard to wrap your mind around the big things that you're doing when you're like in your pajamas at your kitchen table and working on your <laughs> laptop. And I'm like, you don't feel oh like you're gosh. doing big things because you're just, you're at your kitchen table. And, and right. how, how could I be putting all these big things together? And I tell my husband all the time, like this business feels so much bigger than me because mm-hmm. it's, I'm one person and working from home in the Midwest and I have these big teams in LA and New York and it's, you, you can easily feel like a fraud. Like, Sure. Well, that's what I think. That's why I get so excited about um, you thinking about you as a rogue, which is what I call these sorts of people that I'm talking to is you've, you've said, yeah, I could go to LA or I could go to New York, um, but actually I could also do it here. And um, I know for me, uh, having, 
having an actual home, having place, having elbow room, you know, we're both from the Midwest. So Mm -hmm. like, I like wide open spaces and we, our house backs up to a, a cow pasture and like, sure, I could do all of these other things, but actually these are the things that are important to me right. and I'm going to make it work here. Yes, that's exactly it. And, and in eight years, it still, it feels the exact same. I, I mm. probably will never get over the feeling of that. I do this little thing in my house and then 150,000 200,000 people read it and it's like it blows my mind every time and it's it's so hard to wrap your head around but what's the best piece of advice you can give maybe for someone who is sitting in a cubicle in a desk you know somewhere and who has an idea or has something that's burning inside them um what would you say to them I I think you just have to get out of your own head that's something that I do so much and you have to get out of your own head and you just have to go for it like Part of being an entrepreneur and probably the biggest part of being an entrepreneur is teaching yourself to stop being afraid of what could happen. But I think that's my favorite part of all of it is is the not knowing. Not knowing that in a month you could be in a completely different place than you are right now. So you might get a break or something might click and your business might be entirely different than it is right now. If you want that kind of excitement in your life, you just you have to commit to doing what you want to do. Even if it's a little bit at a time and you make it your side hustle for a while before you 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 take it to the next level, at least you're taking the steps to to get to where you want to be. Otherwise, you'll be so sorry that you didn't. Yeah, if I wouldn't have just said, you know what, I'm going to buy a plane ticket to LA and let's just find <laughs> out what happens. And we wouldn't be talking about any of this right now. So That's it's, right. yeah, so I think you just have to, you have to leap and sometimes the net appears and sometimes it doesn't. And you just have to be excited to see what happens. <laughs> There's something in there that just the way you've said that we need to both hold our dreams and our ideas closely and tightly, but also not so tight that we couldn't let them go if they, if it doesn't work out, you know, or if it, you know, um, there's a certain sort of confidence with, um, just who we are as individuals that even if this dream doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that we aren't broken or there's something wrong with us. Yes. And I, the, the biggest part of that is I think people are afraid to show that they've failed, especially with social media. Everyone's embarrassed. Everyone's embarrassed to say, I tried something and it didn't work, but everyone's done that. Everyone has failed at something. So not something you should ever be afraid to try because especially when it comes to your career, it's, it's something you will regret if later, if you didn't say, I wonder what would have happened if I would have done that. Right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Rogue Ones podcast. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere. You can find more information about this episode and our guest at RogueOnesPodcast.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to tune in to the conversation I had with Monica Padman. She's the co-host and producer of Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, and she is the creative partner to the one and only Kristen Bell. You can find her episode at RogueOnesPodcast.com. As always, thanks to Ryan Swinehart of Sick Island Studios in Nashville for his editing genius. And thanks to you for listening today. We'll talk soon.